real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. That's me. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself. Today, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner on today's show. Let's get started and meet the first of today's guests, Helen, who's up first? She is the proprietor of the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour and host of the nationally syndicated The Stephanie Miller Show. It's Stephanie Miller! Stephanie Miller! Hello, Stephanie! Yay, Stephanie! Oh my God. oh my God, fermenting beer. This is fantastic. <laughs> for, now, now for our listeners at home who couldn't see, Stephanie, you really took your moment coming up to the stage. Thank you. Uh, Stephanie, well, tell us about this sexy liberal uh, tour that you've done. Oh, well, uh, thank you, Jay Keith. Is it Keith or Jay, or what? what is that exactly? It's Jay Keith. Okay, Jay Keith, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, JR, my point is, um, <laughs> Does anyone here hate Donald Trump? <laughs> now for equal time, does anyone here love Donald Trump? Okay, well we're wow. in LA and okay. we're on a podcast, so With there we the go. the heat of a thousand white hot suns, am I alone? Just the, everything, <laughs> the way he talks, right. the way he uh. looks. So, so you decided to do something with your hatred? Yes, yes, I decided to channel my hatred into a, a comedy tour. And how is it going, or it's, how did it uh, go? Well, it's a, it was sold out all over the country. We finished for now because uh, Mama needs to rest. Uh, yeah. Right after this, I'll be going into yeah. rehab for a little while <laughs> after I finish those few barrels. Excellent. Mama needed a break. <laughs> now, of course, a lot of people know you from your radio show, The yes. Stephanie Miller Show. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. It's a delight. And Helen, you've actually been a guest. A few I have times. been a guest, and it says a lot because I am not a morning person, and I, <laughs> I will wake my non-morning person butt up at 5 a.m. to be at Stephanie Miller's studio by six to make some jokes. And she is hilarious. Yeah. At insane o'clock, she is. Yeah, it That's is a, insane o'clock. She does the best. If anybody's hiring for your kids' birthday parties, she does the finest Dolph Lundgren impression of any Asian. It's Why true. am I learning about this now, Helen? It's true. Well, because you know that we talk about Russia a lot, and I always bring up Rocky Four, because that. Because I think we have a command performance here, Helen. How right. about a little Dolph Lundgren? All right, here we go. If he dies, he dies. Right? Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. A standing call, ovation wow. from one of our one panelists. Call, call my agent, guys. Call my agent. Uh, now, of course, people know you from radio as a talk show host, but you have been in radio as a long time. As a, as a, you started as a DJ, is that right? Morning drive on Hot 97, everybody. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boys to men tickets coming right up, everybody. <laughs> how, how many, by the way, how many did you play on Tuesday? <laughs> I was a uh, rock jock before yeah. that. WCKG 105.9 Chicago, everybody. Wow. The one thing in common, you always have to say everybody. <laughs> I don't know why. We got uh, some Beatles and Stones going up back to back. Um, uh, yeah, that's... That is a talent. And then, and then did that... Did that why sec- I never got married, probably. Oh, who wants, who no. wants to wake up with a morning radio DJ? Am I right? <laughs> Good morning, honey. <laughs> Traffic's a little backed up on the 405. <laughs> I hope that was good for everybody. Maybe we could do it two hours back to back. Old yeah. 
Now, something I wanted to ask you about that I don't know if a lot of people know, but the, the way that I first discovered how awesome you were was you hosted a game show that was a reboot of I've Got a Secret, the classic TV panel show. Yes. What? I don't know. You about know why? This. Because you can use the word everybody. It's not right. I've got a secret, everybody. <laughs> Uh, what, what, was that something that you had pursued to be a game show host, or was that something that kind of fell into no, your No, I uh, later became friends with the executive producer, and uh, I said, how did I get this job? And he said, you were literally last on the list. <laughs> but you were Everyone on the list. Everyone turned it down. Oh. Well, and I then th they heard you say, everybody, and they were like, she's hired. <laughs> well, let's do it. <laughs> Stephanie Miller, everybody. Stephanie Miller, everybody. Helen, who will Stephanie be playing against this evening? He He's going down wherever he is. <laughs> He is an actor who tours the country doing improv comedy and is the co-host of Let's Make a Deal, airing daily on CBS. It's Jonathan Mangum. Jonathan Mangum. <laughs> Jonathan Mangum trying to drink from the large tankard of ale. He's pausing to take in some beer. I have to say, we are recording this program the day after St. Patrick's Day. Right. Yes. The last thing I wanted to smell today was the smell of beer. There yes. was, we're at a brewery. But you all came after last night. Give yourself a round of applause, yes. you drunk alcoholics. Yeah. That's awesome. That's oh, right. Oh, I smell vomit and urine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I smell something in the audience. I don't know if it was beer, though. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Helen mentioned, of course, that you uh, tour the country doing improv, but are people of course, also know you from improv on television from being on Whose Line Is It Anyway? That is right. Been doing that now for about six seasons on the CW now. Wow. wow. That's amazing. So yes. fun. You're supposed to start every sentence with yes and. Yes and. <laughs> <laughs> now you actually, I have to say, one of the best improvisers I've ever seen. I've known you for probably 20, 25 years or so. I knew you before, you know, you were just on, on small stages doing improv. Uh, and yet also one of the few people I know who's made a living doing improvisation. No, but. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's the first rule, dude. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I messed it up. Uh, yeah, it's, been, it's so much fun to do because there's uh, literally no uh, preparation involved and it's, it's a laziness. Uh, it's lazy, which is why I do it. So, yeah. Well, speaking of St. Patty's Day, can you improv while drunk? Uh, actually, no. So my, my before show thing is a Red Bull or two. I have to Ooh. get, because I'm, I'm naturally not smart. So by drinking a lot of caffeine, I can like fake a little bit of oh. quick thinking, and then I'm just back down to my normal. That's Again. the same. That's what I do on this show. I yeah. actually, uh, I just shotgun a Coca-Cola, and I'm like, I'm, here I am. <laughs> More I'm. wonderful tips for the kids looking to get into broadcasting. Yes. Uh, and then now you've known and, and worked with Wayne Brady for a long time. He, of course, is the host of Let's Make a Deal. How did you and Wayne first meet? We, we were teenagers when we met. Started what? doing improv together at a place called Sack Theater in Orlando, Florida. And we just started taking classes, and then we started doing shows together. And he's been super loyal for, gosh, a long time. I won't wow. say how long, <laughs> but a long time. Uh, terrific. And, uh, and now I'm curious, because a lot of the improv that you do on the road and on Whose Line is what we call short-form improv games. Yes. Do you have experience doing more long-form as well? I don't, but I have done short-form very slowly. Ah, okay. So <laughs> that's... Some, that's I've done long... Long-form is like jazz. It's like really amazing to watch, and it's, but it's, it's, it's not always the most audience-pleasing kind of improv. Like when you're in Milwaukee in a bar, they, they're not really yeah. interested in a long-form Chekhov adaptation <laughs> in three parts. Yeah. They're not looking for a story. No, no, okay. no, no, no. 
Uh, now let's talk about Let's Make a Deal. About how many episodes of Let's Make a Deal have you been so on? So I think we've done around 1,650 hour-long episodes. Wait, wow. what? Yeah, we've been on for nine years. We do 175 a year. And there's math involved, so I just took a guess. All right, fair enough. That's, wow. I have, that's a I have a refrigerator freezer in my purse. Do you still do that? Do you still? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, right. That's the one from the 70s. Thanks, money. Yeah, got it. So, Stephanie, you brought your purse on stage in case he asked for a, a pepper shaker? Yes. Okay. I might. I might. You never know. <laughs> now, Jonathan, like, like in the classic show, people still show up and dress up. To, to get on camera on the show. They do. And, and so the, the story originally was he was doing the show and people were desperate to get his attention. And so I think one or two people showed up one time with signs and maybe like a little bit of a costume and he picked them. This and is then Monty people, Hall. Monty Hall, Hall, the original. Oh. And the people watched it go, well, I'm going to put on some... And then it just turned into a thing. And that's, now people... But that's one of the funnest things about that show is like seeing the audience and how wildly they're dressed. They will go... They will spend weeks working on costumes and there's inside jokes in them and all kinds of gadgets and it's, what, it's what are, I'm curious, what, are, what is the most common costume that you see in what are some of the more uncommon or memorable ones? There's a seen. lot of common ones that are like puns and stuff, mm. like puns on Wayne's name, like, oh, I'm, I'm the Brady Bunch and stuff like that. Oh. Sometimes people will come, like one, one person had this, uh, uh, they turned themselves into a working mechanical slot machine and you, you pulled a thing. Where was the slot? Near her purse. Oh! Thank you. Bam! Thank you. And how many, so you're starting the 10th season of Let's Make It Yeah. How much longer do you think it's going to run? Forever, please. Children wow. and houses. And, uh, Daddy needs some new shoes. Daddy needs some new shoes. We're yeah. certainly happy to have Mr. Jonathan Mangum. Yay. All right, let's get to our game. Now, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside of your field of work in which you feel you have expertise. Now, as I review them, just give us a sentence about each one. Stephanie, you said you know a lot about the bionic woman. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> 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 Very good. That's you my favorite thing. Her ear was bionic, but she couldn't hear through her hair. <laughs> <laughs> you also said you know a lot about Soul Cycle. Uh -huh, because I'm a, a warrior, a renegade, uh, whatever it says on the friggin' wall there. <laughs> wow. You, you like to ride bikes and not cult, go anywhere. Okay, I'm in a cult and it's <laughs> expensive. Fair enough. And then finally, you told us you know a lot about cheap wines, beers, and liquors from the 1970s. <laughs> wow. That's so specific. I know, I always wanted to marry that slut from the Harvey's Bristol Cream commercial. <laughs> Hi, would you like to come over for a little Harvey's Bristol Cream? I love her. What? And Jonathan, you said you know a lot well, about... Before, before you go, I just yeah. have to say that this is my fourth, fifth, and sixth pick because I did have the same three as hers. <laughs> yes. and you, you made me pick yes. again, which I'm fine with. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, you said you know a lot about analog keyboards. Yes, I, the, the nerdingness is just starting, folks. Wow. <laughs> uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, I, can, I think I have the whole script memorized in my head, actually. Wow. All right, and World of Warcraft. Which I have been playing for 14 years. It's the world's highest grossing... Um, M-M-O-R-P-G. Oh, I just good. lost wow. everyone. <laughs> now, later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Now, if either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to take away some of those points. Your subjects today, fact and fiction. Up first, Stephanie with mm. fact. Uh -huh. Stephanie, your topic today was submitted by a listener. Amanda Stock of Toronto, Canada, wrote in to say, in at least one episode, J. Keith Van Stratton, that's me, 
uses the word factoid in a way that is synonymous with the word fact, while allowing for the fact that languages are constantly evolving and word usage and meaning changes, these two words are not quite equivalent yet. I think a question asking for the difference between their definitions would be perfect for an upcoming episode of the podcast. Well, guess what, Amanda? We agree. So, Stephanie, what is the original difference between fact and factoid? Wow. Has anyone ever spontaneously combusted like a Spinal Tap drummer on the very first question? <laughs> you would be the first. No, well, you could um, start with fact. I assume I, you know what a fact is. I would is. say I would steal from Stephen Colbert, truth and truthiness. A factoid is maybe a small fact that maybe has some basis in truth. Like maybe anything Donald Trump says, but not really. Like a factoid is something that has some grain of truth but is not really true. Okay, whereas a fact is? An actual fact. Right. Something that's not on Fox News. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> he looks like Billy Bush. I don't know what's... We're, we are definitely oh, solidifying geez. our base with this episode oh tonight. Uh, I would like to challenge... Uh, well, you'll have an opportunity uh, because uh, we do have Stephanie's answer, but we don't know yet if she's correct. Now, Jonathan, if you don't think she's got it exactly right, you can steal the points by giving us the correct answer. Do you think she's got it right? I don't think she's got it right. I think I look more like Neil Patrick Harris. What? I think uh, I actually happen to know the answer to this because oh. I am making it up. A fact <laughs> is something that is a fact. A factoid is a fact in a collected group of facts. Oh. So if you're referring to one of many facts all in the same, under the same umbrella, if you will, mm -hmm. that is a factoid. A factoid is a collection, is part is of a collection of facts. one of a collection of related facts. That is in an umbrella. That's correct. All right, fair enough. Uh, it is a fact that we need to move on. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. A fact is, of course, a true piece of information. A factoid has come to be used as a brief, interesting fact or tidbit of information, but actually the proper definition is not that. Factoid was actually coined by Norman Mailer in 1973 to mean resembling a fact, or as he said it, facts which have no existence before appearing in a magazine or newspaper. Yes, that's right. In fact, Stephanie was onto something. The key part is the oid, like a humanoid resembles a human or a planetoid resembles a planet Correct. or an asteroid resembles an aster. Uh, <laughs> They are not humans or planets. They are just like a factoid resembles a fact, but is not a fact. So, Helen, what does that mean as far as our points? I think Stephanie got both parts of that I right. think she's correct yeah. as well. Two points I for Stephanie. I am the champion. I... Aren't you glad you did not spontaneously combust now? Did you say I now? look like George Harrison? No, no. What do I look like? You said I look... I look like Ringo. What are you talking about? You said I look about? like Billy Bush, and I said, no, I look like Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, that's true. Thank Dookie you. Hauser. Oh, Thank you. Right. So I get some points I for that, I give him right? my two points back. Unfortunately, that is, <laughs> unfortunately, identifying celebrity lookalikes is not part of tonight's oh, game. Uh, all right, Stephanie, very good. Up next is Jonathan. Your yes. subject today is fiction. And actually, that's not true. It's fiction or nonfiction because we're talking about books. Here is the question oh, to ponder. Boy. When starting a book, what is the difference between a preface and a foreword? A preface and a foreword. A preface is the part of the book that comes before you get into the chapters, and a foreword is the part of the book that comes before the chapters start. <laughs> and... Let, let, me, let, me clear, let me clarify that. No, no, it's very clear, however. Let me clarify my question, which I believe is, what is the difference between those two things? Uh, 
a preface what might give you uh, uh, some, some inclination or uh, some um, context to what the story is about. And a foreword is something that another author might write, uh, not just referencing the story, but maybe the author himself, of something about them and how it relates to uh, the story. All right, fair enough. We have Jonathan's answer. We don't know yet if he's correct. Stephanie, if you think he's got it wrong, you can steal. What do you think? Let me preface this by saying I don't think either of us have any idea what the f- we're talking about. All right. well, before Let me you go forward, forward yes. my previous preface by saying I do believe that a preface is a, a prelude. It's like a foreshadowing of what's going to be in the book. Mm-hmm. And a foreword is someone very slutty. <laughs> I think you mean a horror All right, let's go on. <laughs> My two points I just gave to him, back to you. Oh, I appreciate it so much. It is time to close this chapter. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Both come before the main text of the book. I knew it! Very good. A preface is written by the author, usually explaining why the book was written and why you should read the book. A foreword is written by someone other than the author, usually an expert in the subject of the book or a prominent writer or, frankly, anyone the publisher thinks can help sell the book. That's right. Now, that's why you'll often see foreword by a famous name on the cover of a book written by a less famous author, and sometimes those people are paid by the author to write the foreword because struggling authors can afford it. Right. All right. I will be mean? happy to write the foreword for the Doogie Howser story. Thank you so Wait. much. <laughs> Thank you. What does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? I think that's two points for Jonathan. I yeah, agree. Two I points for Jonathan. And at the end of our first round, what is our score? Wow, it is a dead heat at the end of the first round. Stephanie Ooh. Miller has two points, and Jonathan Mangum has two points. This is a perfect game, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Are you tired of trying to keep up with the news cycle? Is bad stuff happening too fast for you to process? Don't you wish there was an easy way to find out about only the most important info you need? Hi, we're Lisa. And Emily. (laughs) Why don't you try our podcast, Baby Geniuses? On each episode of our podcast, we discuss a weird Wikipedia page, such as flatulence humor, Clamato, Catalan witches, Clippy, the Microsoft Office helper, death during consensual sex, and the talking mongoose. We ask each other stupid questions. Uh, if you <laughs> if you got a packet with like 300 seeds in it, what kind of plant would you choose the seeds to be? <laughs> <laughs> that felt like you were assigned to ask me a question and there were certain words you weren't allowed to use. We talk about Martha Stewart, her pony, and other celebrity horse news. Ben Chunch. Every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Stephanie Miller with two points and Jonathan Mangum with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hall. Thank you, everybody. Now, Stephanie Miller, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the bionic woman, soul cycle, and cheap wines, beers, and liquors from the 1970s. That's right. As curious as I am about that last one, today we want to talk to you about... The Bionic Woman! Well, first of all, how did you become so knowledgeable about the show? I used to think I had a crush on Six Million Dollar Man, mm-hmm. but then I realized I was just using him to get to uh, the Bionic Woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, is it, do you believe that you've seen every episode? I don't, I don't believe so. Uh, I, but I know that if I had a child, uh, if I had a girl, I was going to name her Jamie. Oh, but ooh. I've had a, a hugely uh, a single loserdom of a life. <laughs> So wait, are you saying that little the bi- Jamie had never came to be, people? 
And now my eggs are dust. I hope you're happy. (laughs) Wait, are you saying that the bionic woman, like, helped push you toward lesbianism? You know, I'm going to say so. I think... the comic uh, of her and Wonder Woman meeting, let's come on, hot girl, one girl, superheroes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> did you see the show as, as being feminist? Yes, yes. She was uh, a Jamie Summers, mm-hmm. uh, who's with me. She was a, a former tennis star who, like most of us, got almost killed in a skydiving accident. And then had uh, several of her parts bionically replaced. Her ear, both legs, her arm. She could run 60 miles an hour, am I right? Although there was one episode where she was racing a race car that was going 100, and she clearly beat the race car, so. Tell me why you th- thought it was a feminist show or a feminist character. Well, uh, okay, because she, she, I mean, not just a strong woman, she was a strong woman that could have kicked your ass. Mm. And yeah, that was something didn't, that we didn't need. Either bionic leg or her bionic arm. She didn't also, need a man. she would frequently get, you know, kidnapped and uh, strapped to, like, a bomb. But then she would always know how to, like, you know, get away when she woke up. She'd be like, oh, here I am. Like, I just woke up next to a bomb again. But then she would find a way. Yeah. What? What, was her surgery also $6 million? No. That's an interesting thing you bring up. <laughs> because I assume it was less, right? Because yeah. she was a woman. <laughs> right. So I, think, I think it was 26% like, less, yeah. right? She yeah. probably got like old pennies and friggin' like, I, I don't know, like rusted out cans for her parts. <laughs> Which is all the more impressive that she was able to accomplish right. as much as she did. Right. Yeah. She could still run as fast as he could, and she could yeah. jump like three stories or whatever. Did you have any other favorite episodes or moments from the show? Uh, well, let's see. Oh, one time, uh, she was not very bright about people chloroforming her and kidnapping her. <laughs> quite regularly. That that, that was more third-wave feminism. Somebody either roofied her or chloroformed her, but then she would wake up and use her bionic powers to get out of the the situation. But one time, she was handcuffed to her best friend, so she couldn't use her bionic powers because she would rip her friend's hand off. Oh. Yikes. I totally would have. My best friend's here. She knows I would. And like, listen, uh, I gotta go. Best friend, now you know where you stand. There was a lot of bionic... I'll hook you up with a bionic hand. Just, we gotta go. That's good. So she was a role model, but not so much that you weren't willing to harm your friend. Yeah, to just escape. rip one of my best friend's hands off. Yeah, like good. that song, When You Give Your Hand to a Friend, <laughs> was for my friends. Perfect. Uh, there was a lot of Bionic Woman merchandise. Did you have any of that uh, growing I up? I do not. Do you have some? Well, we'll see. We'll Why see. else do I agree to this, for God's sakes? <laughs> I'm at a brewery. There's no wine here. It's, it's, I'm on vacation. What's happening? <laughs> Where's well, my Jamie Summers t-shirt? Uh, just ahead, we'll enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the bionic woman to test your mastery in this oh, subject oh, with dear. an expert level question. But before that, we want to let you show off. Here are five trivia questions about the bionic woman, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Jonathan, please do listen closely because if Stephanie gets any of them wrong, you have a chance to steal. By the way, Jonathan, how much do you know about the bionic woman? Uh, very little. Excellent. This will <laughs> be a very interesting match. Uh, all right, Stephanie, here we go. Question number one. I have a feeling you're going to get this correct. What tragic accident befell Jamie Summers <laughs> requiring her bionic reconstruction? I think we've covered this. She was going skydiving with a $6 million man and she got in a, a skydiving accident and they had to replace all her parts with bionic parts. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Yes. One point. <laughs> you, you do realize I wrote the questions before I knew what you were going to say though, right? Even though we covered it. All right, here is question number two. Again, I have a feeling you will get this one correct. <laughs> Not all of the bionic woman was bionic. In fact, only four of her body parts were. I was going to say name two of them, but name all of them. Show off. 
What parts of the bionic woman were bionic? Okay, uh, Jay, Keith. Keith. Yes? Sorry. We're just going to edit in both my correct of, name whenever you say anything. Both of her legs, her arm, and her ear were which, bionic. Which ear? I think her right ear. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It kind of is amazing because we did have these questions written like two days ago and she just blew through all yes. of them just chit-chatting about it. <laughs> it's just a light dusting. If anyone wants to go out afterwards, we can really talk. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, by the way, how do you break your ear in a parachuting accident? <laughs> and, and only one Listen, of them and she survived. she fell into a tree first Yeah. and then down several. It was really horrific. Okay, Jackie. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make Steve fun. Steve Austin... <laughs> mortified. All right. Here we go. You're two for two. Let's see if we can do with number three, a topic that I do not believe you have brought up yet in conversation. Mm -hmm. Number three, what evil androids created by Dr. Franklin menaced... Fembots! <laughs> One more time? Fembots. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It is the Fembots. Although we didn't even hear this. We didn't even hear the question. Yes. In case anyone was curious of the question, it was what evil androids created by Dr. Franklin menaced Jamie Summers throughout the series. And Fembots is, Fembots. is correct. All right. Yes. yes. I can see why you were so worried about this category, Stephanie. <laughs> Number four. And she hasn't even had her wine. Yeah, she didn't even bring the beer up on stage. Uh, now, Stephanie, of course, many iconic figures from the 1970s made guest appearances on The Bionic Woman, but which one of these iconic figures never appeared on the show? Vincent Price, Evil Knievel, Helen Hunt, John Houseman, or Florence Henderson? I'll remind you, you do have a hint available if you would like it. I'd like a hint, please. Helen, how about a hint for okay. Stephanie? Okay, here's the hint. While this person did not appear in Bionic Woman, this person did appear in the film musical Song of Norway. What we're, a giveaway. We are, wow, we are very... There's a dead giveaway. We're generous. Uh, we're generous with our hinting, guys. Would you like me to read the list again? Yes. All right. Vincent Price, Evil Knievel, Helen Hunt, John Houseman, or Florence Henderson? I'm going to say uh, Vincent Price. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. Helen Jonathan, Helen with a chance to steal. Yes, I'm going to pick one of four random people now. All right. <laughs> but I know that Florence Henderson was a singer, so I'm going to say Florence Henderson. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> wow. An excellent use of the hints. Thank Foiled you. By Instead Mrs. of Brady making fun again. of it, he somehow made good from it. Uh, by the way, Lindsay Wagner played John Hausman's daughter in the movie The Paper Chase. It was one of his first major acting roles and won him an Oscar. Also, uh, the episode with Evil Knievel, uh, he played himself, and it was called Motorcycle Boogie. Mm -hmm. The 1970s were a magical time. John Hausman was the dean of USC Theater, where I got my degree in Oh, USC my gosh. Theater. Wow. That almost makes up for losing that point. Here we go for number five. <laughs> this is going to be more difficult, but let's see if you can get it. Though the Bionic Woman went off the air in 1978, Lindsay Wagner returned for three made-for-TV movies with Lee Majors, the last of which aired in 1994, showing the wedding of the Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar Man. Yes. Name the title of one of these three movies. You do have a hint remaining, if you would like it. Yes, please. Helen, how about that hint? Two feature the titles of the original shows, and all of them feature the word bionic. Wedding of the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. Helen, is that correct? That is not correct. Not correct. Jonathan with a chance to steal. <laughs> yes. Florence Henderson. <laughs> 
can hardly go wrong. That doesn't work for every hint. I should have pointed that out before the show. <laughs> I, I, I do know that a lot of times in, in the 90s and the 80s when they redid things, they just say the name of it and then put the, the year behind it. So I'm going to say Bionic Woman 94. <laughs> Helen? Totally not correct. No, no, not correct, but I do like your thinking behind it. No, the answers were The Return of the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, Bionic Showdown, The Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, and 1994, which seems way too recent, Bionic Ever After, question mark? Those titles suck! Guys, there's a question mark. There's a question mark. Bionic Ever After? Spoiler alert, yes. All right, Stephanie, you did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Ooh. That is the correct response. <laughs> this question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Your answer is worth up to three points. Here we go. On the show, Jamie Summers adopted a bionic dog. What? That's Max. right. Max, his name was Max. <laughs> the original intent was that he'd get his own spin-off, but luckily for Jamie, he didn't, and she got to keep him. For up to three points, what was the name of the dog? Max. What breed of dog was he? German Shepherd. And what type of accident injured him so badly that he needed a bionic jaw? A laboratory fire when he was a puppy. All right, Helen, let's take note of those answers. Wow. We do not know yet. If Stephanie, Stephanie is correct. Stephanie, Stephanie is coming in super confident. Stephanie seems to have been put a, had a bionic brain installed in between the last question. I'm flying in hot. She is flying in pull hot. Up, pull up. We have your answers noted, but we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure if you are correct. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight, we have the executive director of the Classic TV Preservation Society and the author of the bionic book. <gasps> it's Herbie J. Pilato. Herbie Pilato. Herbie J. Pilato. Hello, Mr. Pilato. You are so good. Uh, Mr. Pilato, welcome. Tell us a little bit about the Classic TV Preservation Society. It's a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to the positive influence of classic television shows. How lovely. And is this, a, is this something that people can be involved in or visit? You can donate to it, yes. ClassicTVPreserve.com. I have many wonderful people on my board of directors, including David Selby of Dark Shadows. Everybody remember Dark Ooh. Shadows from the 60s? Now, you've written books about other shows. Uh, why a book about the bionic woman? Because it followed the theme of my Bewitch book. I'm from Rochester, New York, by the way. Oh, hi. Buffalo. Oh, right cool. up the transit from Cheek to Wagalaka, Wanatanawanda. <laughs> and, and I worked on the, orig or the 80s version of Let's Make a Deal. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. As an NBC yeah. page. I just want to throw that in. Okay. <laughs> why a book on the bionic woman? <laughs> the bionic book followed my theme of I did the first book on Bewitched, and then I did another book on the Kung Fu book, or uh, Kung Fu TV show. And it's all about um, prejudice and how there's like um, people who loved each other despite their differences. Samantha loved Darren, no matter because he was immortal, he loved her, mm -hmm. didn't matter that she was a witch. Wow. Um, and Steve and Jamie loved each other, but they were still outsiders because you know they were half machine Ooh. and so they felt ostracized by ostracized by society and then of course kung fu was an asian in a western world at, at the time so wow so your books are hella woke <laughs> yeah Yes. yes. Cool. Mr. Pilato, tell us a little bit more about what's in the bionic book. Is, is, it, is it an episode guide? Is yeah. it essays? Did you well, interview actually, people? I interviewed um, um, Richard Anderson, who wrote the foreword. Oh. Richard oh. Anderson Talk wrote back. the foreword. Because okay. if you had written it, it would have been a preface. Thank you for learning. <laughs> See, we Which, teach by the way, I did things. write a preface. Oh, you can have both. As well as an introduction. Wow. So there were three 
different. So uh, you didn't have a lot of text. You actually had to fill a lot of pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, yeah, I decided that I wanted to do more than just a trivia book. That I wanted to explore really what the shows were about, why they loved each other, what happened, why everybody loved those shows. You know, it was what, what you said, women's liberation. Um, it was inner strength. You know, Steve and Jamie never once used a gun. That was their, Ooh, their big thing. I did not yeah. know that. You know, and they never really, like today, every two seconds, people are like, you know, karate chopping each other, whatever, on every, every, every show, every minute. But in, in back in the day, back in the bionic day, they waited to like the last 10 minutes before the bionics were used. Because the audience were like anticipating them. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get tired of it. They didn't overdo it. Just like Samantha didn't overdo her twitch. Or mm -hmm. Kane didn't overdo the kung fu on Kung Fu. Interesting. Anyway, and also, Jamie retained her femininity, really, because she always, at the time, she always wanted to make it look like the guy helped her. You mm. know what I mean? So that was oh. big at the time. At, at the, the time. time. At the time. It was a big I'm liking it Jamie. less and less. <laughs> so I wanted to incorporate all of that into this bionic book. Make it fun, but make it informative. You're working on a, a new book. Tell us about that that's coming yes. up. Yes. Um, I'm working on the Mary Tyler Moore biography. It's called With Her Smile, the Mary Tyler Moore story. Oh. It's coming out in the... It's better um, than your Dolph Lundgren. In the fall. I did, of course, you know, the Elizabeth Montgomery story. Um, called Twitch Upon a Star, the Elizabeth Montgomery story, which we're going to turn into a TV movie. And uh, then I have my own uh, classic TV talk show coming out on Decades. Very cool. Oh, well, wow. let's get to the reason that we That's brought awesome. you here tonight. Let's get a nice applause for uh, Mr. Pilato. Thank you. Certainly Thank you. giving us your Would bonus Would you like feeding. to hear Mary Tyler Moore doing Dolph Lundgren? Saying oh, that? if he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight, yes. uh, Mr. Kirby J. Pilato. You heard the question that we asked Stephanie. We wanted to know the name of the bionic dog, what breed it was, and how it was injured. Helen, let's remind everyone of the first answer that Stephanie gave. What did Stephanie say the name of the dog was? Stephanie said Max. Before I could finish the question, she said it. Uh, Mr. Pilato, is she correct? Sh halfway, what is the full name? Oh. Maximilian. Why was, it, why was he called Maximilian? I know, I know, I know. Oh, because the... Shush! Okay. <laughs> because uh, they thought that his parts cost like a million dollars. They didn't think. They knew. They knew. That's what it did cost. Okay. So will you give her the point on that now? I will, absolutely. One point again for Stephanie Miller. <laughs> uh, Helen, what did Stephanie say was the breed of Max? German Shepherd. Yeah. Mr. Pilato? She was correct. She was correct. That's a point for Stephanie. And finally, what type of accident, Helen, did Stephanie say injured the dog so badly that he needed the bionic jaw? Stephanie said a laboratory fire when he was a puppy. She was fantastic. You are correct. That is correct. Three for three. <laughs> Mr. Herbie J., people want to find out more about your work. Where can they find you? They can go to HerbieJPilato.com or ClassicTVPreserve.org. Thank you so much, Mr. Herbie J. Pilato. Helen, let's get a score recap. At the end of that round, Stephanie Miller has eight points, and Jonathan Mangum has three points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We'll talk about a topic Jonathan knows about. Plus, later, Jonathan and Stephanie will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hello, Amita Patel. Hello, Sean David Johnson. What's going on? I think a friend of mine may have chronic pop culture deficiency syndrome. Oh, no. PCDS? What are the symptoms? Well, she doesn't know Wakanda from Westeros. Shameful. And she keeps confusing Aziz Ansari and Riz Ahmed. Oh, my gosh. So sad. Kind of racist, too. But what did you tell her to do? 
I told her to listen to our podcast, Inside Pop, of course. Fantastic idea. A weekly dose of Inside Pop will help anyone discover the best in TV, film, and music. Suffer from PCDS no more. Inside Pop has you covered every Wednesday on Max Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Stephanie Miller with eight points and Jonathan Mangum with three points. Once again, here's J.K. Vetstratton. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Always Sorry. nice when we have such good sports on our panel. <laughs> Jonathan Mangum, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about analog keyboards, yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes. and World of Warcraft. Yes. Today, Why is everyone going? They're all walking out. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we want to talk to you about analog keyboards. Oh, my gosh. I'm a little worried about this because <laughs> I, I do know some stuff about it, but yeah. you know, the bionic woman is pop culture. It's fun and exciting. A analog synthesizers is, are, are, is like having your air conditioning repairman explaining how he's fixing your, me your mechanics. I would like to know that. Oh, no. Uh, well, first of all, when you first told me that this is your topic, I had three incorrect guesses as to what that meant. Yes. So why don't you tell everybody what are analog keyboards? So it was specifically an analog keyboard, an analog synthesizer, it's a type of a musical keyboard. There's several different types. An analog actually uses the electricity, puts it through circuits, and puts it right out into the speaker. Wow. Unlike the most common kind, which are digital, which it uses a computer to come up one, or a sampler that'll sample someone playing, and it'll repeat it when you press a button. See, you're already, I can tell. Wow. But, but, so the analog stuff was the, the first stuff that came out in the 60s and the 70s, and then they were replaced, but it's having a comeback now. So just to be clear, yes. analog keyboards are not typewriters. Not. All right. <laughs> yes, I, I should have said that. Okay. Wait, why are you so into this? Very good I, was a, I was a music band nerd in high school. I I played the, the saxophone and concert band and the trumpet and marching band. I played keyboards. And my first thing I ever bought with my own money after a whole summer of lifeguarding was an $1,100 uh, keyboard. And Ooh. so I just love gear and toys and musical stuff. Do you still play? I do, yeah, yeah. And do you have any analog keyboards in your collection I actually now? do, yeah. I do what have do you, one. Do you I have, have a, uh, it's called an uh, electron uh, keyboard, uh, a... Uh, a4, I think it's called. All right. And why good. do you like them more than the digital or the? So the sound that an analog keyboard makes is it's you're listening to pure electricity going Whoa. in through things and coming out, as opposed to a computer creating a sound. And okay. there's a there's a, a, a certain sound that is unique that they only they can make. What are examples of some music that people would know? Maybe they don't realize uses analog keyboards, but that they've maybe heard. So really the nice. Stranger Things theme. <gasps> That kind of milky, no. mellow sound that was all used uh, using analog sounds. Not there was no digital sound. That all is right, very super cool. All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in analog keyboards to test your mastery, but we want to give you a chance to show off with five trivia questions about the topic. All right. Each worth one point. Again, you also, like Stephanie, get a total of two hints for these five questions. Stephanie, listen closely, because if Jonathan gets any of these wrong, <laughs> you have the chance to steal. Go. By the way, how much do you know about analog keyboards? Nothing, and absolutely nothing. I still don't even know what they are. All right. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our first question. Uh, all right, here we go, Jonathan. Here's your first question about analog keyboards. Raiders of the Lost Ark would have been so much more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, what former theremin manufacturer began a synthesizer company in 1964 while he was earning a PhD in engineering physics at Cornell? Robert Moog. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. All right. Uh, number two, Jonathan, for a synthesizer player or composer, what does ADSR stand for? Uh, ADSR stands for Attack, Decay, Sustain, and Release. Helen? Wow, that is correct. That is correct. 
And for no bonus points, but just so we know what is happening, what, what does that mean? So the attack is what's going to happen when you press the key, right? Uh, the sustain is how Did long... Do you really have to ask this? <laughs> how, how long the note will go before it stops. Uh, decay is... Uh, uh, sustain is the sustain of it. The decay is how quickly it fades away, and the release is what happens when you let go of the key. Stephanie, I thought you would enjoy no. that. It ends with a full release. I'm up. I'm up. Oh. I'm, hey, I'm awake. I'm awake. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Number three. Jonathan, in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, what kind of synthesizer talks to the spaceship? Oh, boy. So, yeah, that's a classic... Da, 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 ba, ba, mm-hmm. What kind was it? I'm going to guess... So that, that was uh, early 80s, mm-hmm. so I'm going to guess an Oberheim. Helen, is it whatever he just said? That is not correct. Stephanie, a chance to steal! I'm going to say a Frigidaire, Jamie. Was it a Frigidaire? <laughs> it was not a Frigidaire. No, no. Oh, really? But, That's but a much better guess than I think any of us expected. Uh, no, it was an ARP 2500. Oh, yes. 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 Often confused with a Frigidaire. Uh, all right, let's see if we get back on track with this one. Number four. Yes. A successful electronic dance group from England named themselves after a small Moog synthesizer. Name the instrument or the band. Uh, you small... do have two hints available if you'd like to use one. Oh, oh I, you, you forgot to mention that. I just did. <laughs> I'll take a hint. Helen, how about a hint? Their biggest hit so far has been Firestarter. Uh, Oh, I don't have to ring a buzzer, do I? I'm not playing. Uh, Prodigy. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. The Prodigy. (laughs) And finally, here's number five. The English synthesizer maker created a huge synthesizer called the Synthy 100, which was used to make some of the music for the Doctor Who series. In fact, the folks at the BBC gave the machine a nickname, one that matches the name of a U.S. state, what is that nickname? Wow. Uh, and I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, too. Like, that would have been my fourth uh, ex- expertise topic if I picked. Yeah. yeah make fun of me now. Um, can I, I still have another hint. Do you, you have another hint? I'll take the hint. Helen, how about that hint? You have a one in 50 chance. <laughs> no. No, no, no. We We're wouldn't just do We're just that kidding. to you. No, no, no. Here's the actual hint. It's ironic that such a large instrument is named after the second smallest state. Oh, boy. Second smallest state. Second smallest state. (laughs) I know it's not called the Rhode Island. Um, (laughs) I, uh... Did the Connecticut? I don't know. Connecticut? Yes. Helen, is it Connecticut? It is not Connecticut. Stephanie, a chance to steal. Do you know your geography? The second smallest (laughs) state. New Hampshire? Is it New Hampshire? It is not New Hampshire. No. Lesson out there for the kids. Delaware. Delaware is the second smallest state. I think some people in the audience knew that one. I I don't know from the first clue or the second clue, but uh, either way. teeth gnashing. And you're saying the keyboard was called a Delaware? They nicknamed it the Delaware. Delaware. Yes, the Delaware. All right. Jamie Summers was from Ojai, California. (laughs) All right. All right, that was a difficult question, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. Oh, that wasn't the expert level question. No, no, no. (laughs) All right. Here we go. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. (laughs) Again, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Here we go. Composer Wendy Carlos really put synthesizers on the map when she won three Grammys for her album, Switched on Bach. She later went on to compose some trend-setting soundtracks for well-known films. For up to three points, name three of the film soundtracks she composed using analog keyboards. Okay. Uh, One I know for sure because I'm a big fan of it, and that's Tron, the original Tron. All right. Let's note that answer, Helen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say The NeverEnding Story, and I'm going to say Legends of the Fall. 
What a triple feature that would be. Uh, all right, Helen is noting your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have with us tonight? Here with us tonight, we have the former archives historian for the Bob Moog Foundation and member of the band, The Moog Cookbook. It's Brian Keyhue. Brian Keyhue, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Keyhue. Hey. All right. Now, uh, before we talk about this, I want to give a little bit of your credentials because we could talk with you all night about many subjects. You actually are here tonight between dates touring with whom? Well, I, I work with The Who quite a bit, played with them a bit. I've worked with a French band called Air that uses a lot of these old synthesizers, too. Wow. There's not just one person on the planet that cares about such things. <laughs> There's two. Uh, and Notice I didn't say who. <laughs> All right, now let's get to uh, talking about analog keyboards. Um, now, what did you do as a historian for the Bob Moog Foundation? Oh, I worked for them for quite a long time. Bob Moog himself was a friend of mine, and we used to work together sometimes creating new instruments and designing things. So when he passed on, I worked with the family quite a while to go through the archive of his stuff and make sure it was preserved and made available to people, things like that. And what do you love about analog keyboards, and why should people not be bored about the topic? It's hard to explain, but let's say... You cook with butter or you cook with margarine. Which one makes you happier? Cooking with butter is just satisfying. So there's something about these things. They had controls and knobs on them. It's not like you're on your laptop. It's really like a spaceship. When you walk up to it, it's impressive already to look at the way they built them. And as you know, there's lots of controls and things for you to play with. So it's a lot more finger painting with sound. What are things that people maybe don't realize that they've heard analog keyboards on? Jonathan mentioned the Stranger Things soundtrack. What, what are some classic analog keyboard records people have heard? Well, there's a lot of classic rock hits. And if you think of your Fly Like an Eagle or Lucky Man from Emerson, Lake and Palmer, all the disco dancey hits, uh, Donna <laughs> Summer, I Feel Love is a synthesizer showpiece. And you've got Depeche Mode and you've got all those new wave bands of the 80s that had synths everywhere. Uh, are they making new analog keyboards, or is it more restoring tons classic ones? Tons and tons. In fact, it's much more popular right now than it was back when they were popular. No kidding. Wow. And what do you attribute that to? I don't know, because nobody wants old cash registers. We don't collect old computers. <laughs> For some reason, this kind of technology has come back around again, and people think it sounds great, and the way to work it gets great results. Now let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked Jonathan. As a reminder, we wanted him to name three of the soundtracks that were composed by Wendy Carlos, who, by the way, I understand is a, is a close friend of yours. She's a good friend, and she's a, one of the most talented people I've ever met. Excellent. Uh, Helen, let's remind everyone of the first answer that Jonathan gave. Jonathan said Tron. Brian? That is an excellent answer. In fact, it's probably the trickiest one, I would say, but you really know that detail. It's great. All right. That's correct, then. One point for Jonathan. <laughs> Uh, Enjoy Hello, a while last before we get to Legends of the Fall. Stop it. Leave it alone. Stop <laughs> it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I promise, Stephanie. Uh, Helen, what was Jonathan's second answer? Jonathan said, never-ending story. Brian? Not that we know of. Okay. Uh, Although, it is never-ending, so at yeah. some point she might. Not yet. No, no. I'm sorry. Not, that was not correct. And finally, Helen, what was the third answer that Jonathan gave us? Jonathan said, <laughs> Legends of the Fall. <laughs> Stephanie, do you want to answer this one? <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. Uh, Ryan? No. No, I'm sorry. That was not correct. No. No. So what were, what were the other ones that uh, uh, Mandy Carlos composed? I think the one that's really significant is A Clockwork Orange. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Which is a pretty great soundtrack. In fact, music is in the theme of the movie with the Beethoven and so forth, Ludwig van. And then they talk about it. And they have this beautiful, for the time, you know, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art mixture of... Beethoven's music mixed with the most modern technology. 
Very good. See, and that was your moment, like that contestant on a Wheel of Fortune that said, gone with the wine? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what you would like to be doing right now. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, and then what was another one that she had done? Another small film called The Shining. Ooh. Oh, that music was what? so spooky. I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. Yes, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, and Tron. Uh, Jonathan or Stephanie, is there anything you would like to ask our expert while we have him here tonight? What's the coolest, oldest uh, analog keyboard you've, you've got to, to use? I have one of the original Moog, yeah. which is Bob Moog's real name, uh, which has patch cables. It looks like a big wall of electronics. It's really cool to see. What model is that? It doesn't really have a thing because it's a hodgepodge. That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> he now has two points. He's moving into the lead. Let's go to the bonus round. changing. Who's who? <laughs> and so, Brian, if people want to learn more about you or see your work or hear you play, where can they do that? Parking lots late at night. <laughs> so glad I asked. Mr. Brian Key here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Helen, let's get a score update as we go into our final round. At the end of that round, Stephanie Miller has eight points and Jonathan Mangum has seven points. Oh, a very okay. close game. And now it is time for our final round that we call Fast Facts. I'm going to read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Stephanie and alternate between each guest. We'll keep the discussion to a minimum. Each correct answer is worth one point. And again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Stephanie, the number pi has one digit before the decimal point. True. Correct. Jonathan, Los Angeles has three S's in its name. False. Correct. That's right, it has two. Stephanie, Dan Aykroyd has two Y's in his name. Well, there's a lot of working it out here. False. <laughs> that is incorrect. No, it is true. Wait, true. Two what? Jonathan, the phrase beat around the bush comes from a place called bush. False. Correct. Stephanie, the phrase beyond the pale comes from a place called pale. False. Incorrect. No, it's oh. near Dublin, Ireland. Jonathan, the Boy Scouts used to offer a merit badge for taxidermy. True. Correct. Stephanie, the Boy Scouts used to offer a merit badge for stalking. False. Incorrect. No. What? Come on. Pre presumably it was for prey, but we'll never know. Jonathan, the Boy Scouts currently offer a merit badge for nuclear science. True. Correct. Stephanie, the Boy Scouts currently offer a merit badge for fingerprinting. True. Correct. That's right. In fact, in 2017, it was their most popular badge. And finally, no joke, finally, Jonathan, the Boy Scouts offer a merit badge for talking to Girl Scouts. False. Correct. That's great. Very good. Let's give a nice hand to both Stephanie Miller and Jonathan Mangum while Helen tabulates the score. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner in today's episode of Go Fact Yourself? I am. At the end of the game, Stephanie Miller has 10 points and Jonathan Mangum has 12 points. 12 points. Congratulations. Oh. A very close game that really could have gone either way. Jonathan, you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I will share it. With oh. this lovely lady right here. Oh, everybody wins. All right, all we have to do now is just uh, give everyone an opportunity to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Stephanie, what do you have going on? StephanieMiller.com. Listen to the radio show. You can get it on SiriusXM, stationed around the country, TuneIn app, the iHeart app. Uh, you can uh, get the Happy Hour podcast at StephanieMiller.com. It's fantastic. Stephanie Miller, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Jonathan, where can people find you? Uh, you can see me every day on Let's Make a Deal on CBS, uh, frequently on Whose Line Is It Anyway on the CW, and follow me at Mangum the number one, or on Instagram at jmangum1. Jonathan Mangum, ladies and gentlemen. You lucky people have been co-hosted by Ms. Helen Hong. Yay! You can follow me on all the social medias at at 
funny Helen Hong, because some other person named Helen Hong has my handle, so I'm the funny one, guys. <laughs> she I'm certainly is. One. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith or on Instagram at jkeith.net. That just leads me to thank Stephanie Miller, Jonathan Mangum, Herbie J. Pilato, Brian Kehue, Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Here, come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Marco Pedram did. He said the show is, quote, fun and moves quickly. Lots of fun facts, end quote. Thanks, Marco Pedram. Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Mike Avianos, Leora Saul, Cody Lawrence, Daniela Zeltzer, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.